0: should we record yeah well it's already recording (laughs) okay so let's start now yeah Uh all right great oh so chapter four with mary from defeat to victory um this chapter's a lot shorter than the previous one so i don't know what that'll say about the conversation whether that'll mean the conversation shorter or not i don't know i know we're looking at
1: each other and i think we have different opinions on things so part of of me feels like like, well i
0: just finished i did the last episode of the. the Mariology podcast episodes yeah i, didn't I f- finally finished those yeah. yeah like i finished it just this past week so i don't know if that means that i just um oh, i just did all of this and that's like this tiny little chapter so it doesn't seem like it's that much or if it's or if that's kind of tricking me into thinking it's not that much and it actually is i don't know
1: yeah well i know and i told you i was like oh i wrote about this uh-huh. <laughs> like, so, you know in okay. my book coming out it's uh-huh. all about our lady and and so there's like different aspects but I think, like, there's some points in here, like, we need to talk about, right? Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. yeah.
1: Okay, so, like, overall, though, the chapter is just showing that Mary is the way we gain victory over these issues. So, that's that's the overarching, that's the thesis we're looking at.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, which is absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what's your first note?
0: Um. Well, I had a question for you. Okay. Because there are certain things that she, certain things in the book that are very experiential. And so obviously I don't have any person, I don't have any firsthand experience of being a woman. And so I typically like, no doubt, no doubt. want to ask you about <laughs> those things. And so I thought what she, I thought what she had to say about, and it's a continuing theme of hers where she talks about this. Uh, feminine power to embody and she brings up the three k's at least as they are in in german um, uh, kirke kuka and kindern so church kitchen and children and so she says i think she's quoting something here right the woman's part is to prepare a man himself so that was kind of an interesting reflection i wasn't sure how that struck you or whether you find that to be true or true in all cases, true in some cases, true in most cases.
1: Yes, so I think she's hitting on something really important and that's what is and should be normalized, which is a woman who is preparing man, who is um, potentially God willing um, in marriage have if she's blessed with children, raising those children, and preparing man to go out into the world right so this sort of hidden call and this mysterious call so for me like all of this captures homemaking and a woman's love of the home and um and being in the home and i think that's she hits on that first beto- before talking about what's next so i want to get into that in a second but it did not in any way like offend me or anything like all i was thinking was yeah like this is what a woman does, and it's good. And we've only been told in recent years that it's not enough. And I think that's why there needs to be an emphasis on absolutely it is enough. It's more than enough. It's it's one of the most powerful things we can do as women and roles that we play in. We don't need this extroverted, um, aggressive, like, um, uh, active, I guess, out there in the world Sort of big thing service to do something impactful, but is that is that okay? Yeah, no, that's really
0: interesting. Later on in the chapter, she says something to the effect of, and I think again she's quoting something else, and I don't remember it offhand. Where she says something about how women are essentially religious or something like that. Yes. So that's kind of what it makes me think of because if it's these. With these particular categories she's talking about, they seem to be really concerned with worship and creation. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you just focus on maybe these particular words, you might need to get past the veneer of the surface level of what she's actually the specific example she's using. But if you look at the categories, what she's talking about, she seems to be emphasizing women's desire, role, participation in worship and creation mm-hmm. whether it's creation of literal human lives or creation of a space for those lives to actually right live. homemaking
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's it's really powerful and and actually reflecting on these words as women can help us understand like what our role is and how significant that role is and i think feminists want us to believe that it's demeaning and that's the problem is it's it's completely not that is the lie mm-hmm. um but after she goes into this, did you have more thoughts? Cause I wanted to go into no, the next good. part yeah. was the holy flexibility. This is so <sighs> important this and it's such so, a cool way to so say it. was so funny
0: because I was sitting at the desk reading the yeah. other day, this chapter. And I had gotten a couple of pages past this and Augustine comes in and interrupts me and wants to talk to me. And mm-hmm. in my head for like the first five seconds, I was thinking I'm reading. Can't you see I'm reading and then I was like, well, I just read about how, like, it's okay to be interrupted. <laughs> and how, because she's, what's it on the bottom of that page, she talks about how um, everyone knows how hard it is to be interrupted in something that we're doing. Mm-hmm. But the the kind of holy flexibility allows us to pivot, hopefully really graciously in a way that recognizes kind of the, the worth and the dignity of whatever it happens to be and putting their needs over our own. Yeah. And so it was just really funny that that literally happened like five minutes after I, after I read this particular page mm-hmm. and this particular thought.
1: This is probably going to get into her sort of personalism, I would say. Yeah. You can correct me, but this is like know. my thought is that when she talks about this holy flexibility, she's really making an emphasis here that we as individuals have particular callings. And we have to consider what is God asking me to do in this moment and on this particular day. And that is a saintly flexibility to like, consider that, you know, the duty of the moment as Catherine Doherty uh, often says, like, it's a very similar is thing. It? Um, she's, she's like this wonderful, I've, I've read so much from her. How do you, how, how, do you I not... know? I've heard
0: the name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like... No,
1: she, she's an amazing woman. Anyways, we'll talk about her later, but, but this yeah is this um, someone
0: that you know
1: no this is like a, like a really holy woman that has passed and probably will become a saint one day
0: okay <laughs> this is like a homeschooling person no oh my gosh she's I just, don't understand. okay she's
1: like an activist she did like all the social work and stuff and she's like very holy catholic woman and
0: okay she talks
1: about the duty of the moment and mom's like no i'm sure like that finding I, okay. christ in in diaper changing and things like that she's very inspiring and i read remember Footmit, footprints of holiness by her. Do you remember i read that last year? So good. It's she talks Okay. We're we're not going to go into I that know right i've now. heard the Let's name. Let's talk about I've, this just, after we record.
0: <laughs> it's too many people everyone's reading.
1: It's true. Okay, track. but what i mean by this is and this is why i was like maybe it's it's a bit like personalism or something. Um but i don't know a lot about that yet. Um but what i mean by that is that sometimes there are particular situations and family situations where like God is calling something like a woman to something different, like, like to a particular work or to, you know, perhaps like she talks about like a husband being handicapped and having to like take on a lot of work or single moms, like I'm thinking about like all of these sorts of things. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: And how like, and she really gets Edith Stein in this way and showing that no matter what, the work is or what a particular woman is called to do that she doesn't have to leave her femininity behind in that and um and and that like we also and and here's what i want to hit on like very practically as women like reading this and now in today's age, like 2023 you know etc the thing is that we're fighting for something to be normalized that isn't normalized. And it was kind of like I talked about in the last chapter of like being able to look at the ideal comfortably, even if we aren't called to that ideal. I talked about that in light of like my C-sections, you know, and wishing I could have natural births, but knowing this is how God had me give birth. So in this way, like looking at the ideal family model and what should be normalized of the woman being at home with her children and raising, her children and making a home and all these things should be normalized and supported 100%. And also we can say there are individual circumstances where that will not be possible, number one. And number two, like God will be calling women to something different. And so as women, what we need to do is always be giving other women the benefit of the doubt, you know, um, and looking to ourselves and saying, what is God asking me to do? How can I live out my calling the best instead of looking externally and, and thinking about what others need to be doing? You know, like we need to, we need to be living the example ourselves in what God is asking us to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's what it made me think about.
0: Yeah. Well, she, she continues this thought by talking about how, one of the things that's she, I think she she talks about it being one of the mysteries of the faith, is that the more perfect you become, the more that you'll cultivate virtues that might not even be primary virtues for your particular vocation, but because as you grow in sanctity, you would grow in all the virtues, and yeah. so so obviously, when that's happening hopefully you're cultivating and developing and receiving virtue primarily ordered to your particular vocation. But as you, you know, level up, (laughs) you, you would gain even sort of tangential skills and virtues that might not be primarily ordered to your particular vocation, but as you know, being called being, being called to sanctity is the vocation of all the baptized. And so eventually, right? Hopefully your call would be to cultivate as much and as widely in the area of virtue as possible. So I think that's really interesting. So especially when she's talking about if women have this particular vocation, well, as you grow in sanctity, hopefully the goal is to grow in all areas of virtue, not just the ones that you might think would be helpful for you personally right now. Mm -hmm. It's much wider.
1: Yeah. I was thinking with that, Number one, about how men and women can take on some of like the opposite sexes um, particular gifts. So for, you know, men becoming more gentle, you know, and women maybe becoming more courageous, you know, these sorts of things and how that's good. And it's mm. it's part of growing in virtue.
0: Yeah. And it's even there's a there's a book called Vocation to Virtue. And I think it's by, I think his name, his last name was like Laznosky or something. I think he teaches mm-hmm. at Wyoming Catholic, or at least did a number of years ago. I don't know if he still does, mm-hmm. but it's a book. It's called Vocation to Virtue. And it looks at marriage through the lens, at least partly. One of the things that I found most helpful in the book was that it, it wants to ask questions about what marriage should look like if you also are talking about the virtues that we typically think of only associated with religious life. Mm. So the evangelical councils, Yep. of poverty chastity and obedience so those aren't like, the typical things you normally think of straight away when you think about marriage right but he does a really good job of showing that actually these virtues these evangelical counsels, are really important for you as a married couple not in the same way mm-hmm. as they are for a professed religious right for the consecrated life it's, it's going to be very different but those are they're but they're virtues nevertheless and so they're going to be things are helpful for you to cultivate and to focus on in your particular way even as a married person yes which is which i thought was really helpful and i thought is is really interesting way of looking at marriage in kind of like a new light
1: yes so before we move on another thing i thought of with this particular thing was this sort of idea of contemplative motherhood you know like we think of the contemplative life and how nuns and sisters—it's—it's it's, it's easier to enter into meditative prayer and have like a really contemplative life because you're not so busy and active in your work as a mother is. But how, like the whole year, you become like the more you engage with that, like meditative prayer and you know mental prayer and and the silence, like finding those little tiny slots of silence and motherhood, you know, like where you can find it to just be with the Lord in that way. That was something I thought of. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to be active about that and finding the silence. So, okay. So shall we, shall we keep going? Yeah. What's your next note?
0: So something that I'm not sure I'd thought about before was she, she gets into the question about the geographical locations of where feminism seems to have sprung up most earliest or most virulently, I suppose you could say. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how it's kind of of curious that feminism seems to have originated in primarily Protestant countries. And her theory, right, which she also should not yeah i'm not sure it's particularly hers alone she's probably not the first person to have ever thought this but this idea that it's much easier to fall into the errors of different kinds of feminism when you kind of systematically allow Marian devotion to disintegrate
1: mm-hmm. which
0: i think is really curious and i after thinking about it more often thinking about it more and more it does seem to ring true in a certain sense where if we we often talk about how, even though there's plenty of things you can know about God and religion in the world by reason alone, because we're born into a fallen world. So we talk about the twofold darkness into which we're born sin mm-hmm. and ignorance. And so if we, I, I can see how if you remove a strong Marian devotion that develops even from the earliest days of Christianity, thanks to thanks to sin and thanks to our own ignorance, right, thanks to the fact that sin affects our ability to know things and understand things properly and it clouds our vision, I can see how you could kind of fall into that if it's if you don't have a Mary and a feminine element to religion and you're a Christian, you could think, well, Jesus was a man and the apostles were men and he caused priests to be men and all the bishops are our, our men, and it seems like the world kind of encourages men to do this, and men seem to be stronger, and men seem to be running things, and then you can fall into this, where where you're really only viewing things through this kind of masculine lens, and you would react against that in a certain way, thanks to a host of issues that we've talked about before in previous episodes. So this idea that actually, a Marian devotion protects this feminine element of both human nature and religion is really interesting one
1: it really is i was very struck by this um also she quotes our parish priest
0: (laughs) yeah i thought that was really father
1: john sayward is our actually like our priest he's a theologian um and that's why she's quoting him but um Yeah, he says, I suspect that the reason why the Protestant denominations have been so vulnerable to the taunts of feminism is that their religion refuses to acknowledge the unique role of woman, of the woman, of Our Lady in the drama of redemption. Mm -hmm. So it really is an interesting thesis. I will say this, though. I I will say this. I've been most... I, I think there are a lot of Protestant women that I know that are incredibly in love with their role as a woman and incredibly against feminism so like i don't know if that's i i just don't know if i fully agree with this so i understand like where it's rooted right but i wonder if these are people falling away from the faith that are like falling away from christianity and from because if you are a biblical woman and you're looking at the biblical woman you're gonna have you're you're gonna it's there like this is not just like based on traditions right and And our lady is biblical. Our lady is the biblical woman, so the the Protestant that recognizes that, and I've met them
0: well, I think like
1: are inspired
0: well, I'd be willing I'd be willing to posit that she's thinking about how men have messed things up, messed things up here, right? Remember oh, earlier no. in the book where she talks about how it's men inventing all the heresies and getting everything wrong as far as that goes. whoa. Don't you think that it would be men who would fall into this trap of, if I don't have a Marian devotion, all I see are men, right? Jesus mm. is a man. The apostles are men. And thanks to sin and ignorance, I'm just going to think in a masculine mode. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to rule, you know, with a sort of domineering.
1: Tyrannical way over uh-huh. women. And then you dig de- deep. Where you, know-
0: you basically give, you know, you give give women every every reason to sort of think poorly of them. In that sense,
1: right? Like to to think of them as almost as an yeah. So what you're yeah. So I think what you're creature. saying is
0: definitely true. I don't I don't think she, even she again. This book is so succinct and so mm. pithy. She's not really including any details. Um, so I think that what you're saying, as far as the anecdotal evidence, it's certainly not something that you would want to just state. As kind of a blanket statement right well all protestants are this way all protestant countries have just been like this you way. don't want to
1: hear all catholics are one
0: <laughs> right this has happened it's just
1: not yeah it's not prudent
0: to but i think it's it just it seems to be one particular way that you could fall into this would be removing a devotion to to mary the, yeah the, the pinnacle of what it means to be a woman is just going to be that much more unhelpful in developing a healthy view of men and women
1: right and I think that's maybe what it comes down to is are we recognizing our lady's role as it is as a, not just not just like like we're gonna talk like very much as like the fullness of Christianity here as the ultimate biblical woman she is the ultimate biblical woman as well, and I do think a lot of at least I'm seeing this in my at my age like with different Protestants I know that are like very, very encompassing of the faith and looking to biblical femininity that they are looking to Mary as the new Eve as well, um, and maybe that's a newer movement. I don't know, but but Mary, Our Lady, is the answer to femininity, and um, and yeah, so
0: yeah, I mean it's it's a curious thing that even most of the most of the men who you find at the start of the various Protestant denominations in the 16th century,
1: mm-hmm.
0: almost every single one of them explicitly talks about how like Marian devotion is good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It doesn't matter like who it is, like Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, you can find explicit things at the roots of all of these different breakoffs and divisions of different Protestant sects. They all explicitly will say good things about Mary and it's more of the later developments where that kind of just falls away.
1: Well, yeah, and so I mean, it's that's kind of exactly so, it's, so. It's kind of
0: interesting that you say. Well, maybe it's a new thing, etc. It's it would almost be a kind of like a turning back in like, time. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah, It's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the devil wants people not to get close to Mary. That's that's the fact. The devil does not want people close to Mary. Or to look at or to look at her as anything special at all that is exactly what the evil one wants he really really planted that seed well in um, different sects of Protestantism that is certainly true I mean we have to fight this battle all the time like
0: mm-hmm. why
1: do you worship Mary no one worships Mary that's Catholic okay like relax <laughs> like
0: <laughs> well and that's for and that's for two reasons right it's the first like on the one hand it's for the sake of mary herself yep, right it's it's not helpful for him it's not helpful for the evil one for you to have allies in the fight so whether it's your greatest ally right mm. mary or any of the other saints mm-hmm. right it's sort of a destruction of the cult of the saints in the first place and then secondly right you could argue more importantly throughout christian tradition like the last two millennia Mariology has always always has to revolve around christology Right. So that's why the whole like the councils in the the fifth century that defines Mary as the Theotokos, the God bearer, was specifically thanks to a Christological heresy about who Jesus is. Mm. And so when you decide if if you want to say, well, Mary's not the mother of God, she is the mother of Jesus. Then you're raising a lot of really thorny questions about the person of who Jesus is right you see because you can say well okay are there two persons right mary is the mother of jesus and the father is the father of jesus is god what does does that mean and so the council Mm -hmm. basically just said well no jesus is a divine person he's one person and women mothers give birth to persons Mm -hmm. so if mary gives birth to jesus she gives birth to a divine person she gives birth to god therefore she is the, the Mother of, of God,
1: yeah, yeah it's very yeah.
0: simple and straightforward, yeah, so it's it's an interesting thing where you know that everything's connected, so you want to knock over one domino, you don't realize how many other dominoes are falling after that, just further down the line that you might not see at first, but that actually are important,
1: yeah, yeah, good, so she she then goes into purity and how Our Lady captures purity and helps us to remain pure, um but what I wrote a note on. It was on page 85 with this, and um, it was about communicating modestly. So she talks a lot about even in the faith, like people just communicating um, without reverence to Our Lady and the Lord and to these sacred um, elements that we're discussing of the faith and how it can be discussed with such Coarse language, or you know, I'm thinking of like the really just like sort of um, like I don't know how to say it exactly, but but I guess just like this, like this language of just irreverence and just talking about it to get us excited about like Christ being like you know, the Jesus is my boyfriend kind of mentality, you know, or like he's my friend, and and it's just very lighthearted to the point of irreverence. And I think she hits on that here. And so um, I, you know, Alice von Hildebrand hits on that. And I think she shows that like Mary's, you know, she says like Mary's mouth would be like flowing out with like music. You know, it would just be lovely, everything lovely, everything good, everything poetic and wholesome and, and, and in a state of reverence. So I think she shows um that reverence is lacking in our culture and she hits on that and i think that's really important for our time
0: yeah i mean i think something i don't remember when it was a long time ago because when we were still at ave in grad school at some point and jeff frula was giving some lecture
1: this is he's a theologian
0: on mary yeah he teaches in california at the seminary in um san francisco I think
1: mm-hmm.
0: is it menlo park st patrick's i think that's what it is um yeah anyway I, I i i literally don't remember anything else that he said or what he was talking about or what the point of the talk or the title or I, I remember literally nothing except for this one little anecdote where he mentioned he says something about how he says basically if you imagine mary is not beautiful you're a heretic essentially mm-hmm. he says you know like what what faithful christian or what faithful catholic is going to imagine mary is not beautiful because we just inherently associate beauty with sanctity, mm. and so there's this interesting relationship between holiness and beauty. Whether it's it, and it doesn't doesn't does just mean like physical beauty, but it would also be you know beauty of dress, beauty of speech, beauty of activity, and all of these other like essentially
1: her demeanor. Her, yeah, yeah. Like
0: how like how can you embody beauty in the best way that you can? Whether Whoa. it's. That's so cool. Because there's, I mean, there's a lot of things you can't do about your appearance, right? I mean, you could take care of yourself, right? Health is a part of beauty, right? So are you taking care of like the body you've been given? Right. But in many ways, it's about like, how do you talk? How do you interact with people? How do you dress? Like, what kind of language do you use? I always think of, um, I tend, like when this this particular topic about like modesty or beauty of speech, Mm. the person I always think about is Fulton Sheen. Yeah. With the way that he talks, because it was kind of like a contemporary. Obviously, it's, you know, he died, however it was it 40, 50 years ago, something Mm -hmm. like that. But if you can, if anyone has listened to to Bishop Sheen or seen the, you know, the old black and white, you know, chalkboard television shows that used to be on public access television. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine like a a bishop dressing up and writing on chalkboard on public television? so
1: unwoke um,
0: but like the way that he talks was is always was really so fascinating to me um because he is always the most one of the most clear communicators i can remember but the way that he talked is always a very i guess what you would nowadays call a kind of old school reverence with everything that he said and mm. did which i always find really attractive
1: it's refreshing and we need it yeah. we don't need the watered down way of communicating and the, the lack of reverence. I think we're, we're yearning for reverence in our day and age. We're yearning for the tradition. We're yearning for something different because everyone has become so, um, just not a just irreverent, casual, but casual. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and we don't like, it's, it's, it's not great. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that that's probably true. I think because we live in that kind of society, there's times where trying to be more formal or reverent almost seems like you're pretending.
1: But just do it anyways.
0: Yeah. Like and then I, I feel like, like I've, tra- I've been trying it. to do like a little bit more of that.
1: Well, I feel like that's but part of like, you know, hard. how I dress. Like I changed to like wearing dresses every day. And uh-huh. ori- originally I was like, am I a fraud? Like, you know, like, is this me? Yeah, you know, da-da-da. no, no, uh-huh. no. But it's like, no, I, I want to capture the nobility of who we are. And that's what it comes down to is I think this sort of thing, like, thinking about our demeanor and our words and how we're externally communicating to the world is a way of entering into, like, um, not just reverence, but also and seeing the goodness of the human being and seeing the nobility of, like, how God made us
0: mm-hmm.
1: and what we're meant to be. Like, we're called into something higher than, yeah, just
0: yeah yeah it's just it's, yeah it's just interesting because like I cultural mores have changed so much so rapidly yeah you know what i mean like i imagine like my like our parents probably referred to their parents as you know like, sir and ma'am mm. things like that
1: interesting and yeah. i'll go
0: downstairs and the, the four-year-old be like can i have some more juice dude <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you know <laughs> and on the one and, and the one part of me thinks is really funny because you know she's just playing around she knows that she's doing it because yeah. I, like because i'll laugh at it yeah. right yeah <laughs> but there's just a certain sense in which our culture is much more casual and we kind of, and you know, we kind of live that too and so there's there's probably like a there's like a, to me there seems like a good middle ground you know where you want to inculcate a kind of reverence especially for the things that you should be reverent for
1: oh goodness but even yes. like
0: with you know like i think we've tried to with us parenting as far as that goes. I think Mm -hmm. there's like a good middle ground where, you know, you don't want your, you know, you don't want your kids to view you as a kind of like a boarding school headmaster. Right. But you also don't want to be like their buddy. There's like a good middle ground there. there there That's, you know, and again, based on culture, that's totally different. Like, I would expect just culturally, so like the American South will use sir and ma'am, just all the time yeah. in a way that you wouldn't find in a lot of other places in the country just based on regional right. differences. Um, anyway, that's kind of a tangent.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting but based on okay, about. So, so culture related to this hand. though, Yeah.
0: Um, I, I, I was trying to think, and I, I think I might have the answer, but when I was reading through this, I didn't have the answer. I couldn't think of it. Um, what the, because she talks about this, um, right, being talked about the virtue of reverence. And I was trying to think of like, what what's the opposite of reverence
1: no well, right away i'm like irreverence
0: it <laughs> seems too easy almost, okay though, all right, right all right let's hear it i mean maybe that's wrong the I, no i don't know all right i'm still oh, okay. trying to think through it right there's a, yeah, well
1: irreverence there's...
0: <laughs> okay but just like okay, adding like, adding the prefix doesn't right so, so if you're thinking about okay what's the opposite of like courage it's not like Uncourage. <laughs> but there's a specific advice. Right, Alright,
1: I hear you. Right? Like yeah. okay,
0: well, courage and cowardice, right? So yeah. there's the the only thing I was I mean, maybe like a quick Google search could remind me of something I've forgotten. But um I was just sort of it seems like maybe impiety.
1: Oh. But wouldn't that just be like not Yeah, being okay, piety? sure, irreverent. <laughs> I, just, I I
0: didn't know if you had Okay. Any different thoughts on like the what the opposite vices we have sort of taken on as a culture that would militate against the cultivation of reverence? I So it's yeah. more just like a kind of a thought experiment of like what makes us not be reverent.
1: I think that's like more a, of it. Is I I'm thinking of a word would I mean we like huh? to be like is crudeness a word?
0: Sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah like, no, that, uh-huh. like something
1: like that. Yeah, we're crude.
0: We're blasphemous. We're um, just. Our you know what? Is ugly. No, this is the I opposite. Mean...
1: This is it. I got it. Prideful.
0: Well, that's the opposite of all virtues. This guy. Okay, co- but it seems out.
1: like particularly. <laughs> no, no, no. I think this is particularly. Because if, because she's talking about reverence in terms of like prostrating yourself, mm. yourself before okay, the altar sure. yeah,
0: and yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: stuff like,
0: yeah, well, I was thinking in terms of, yeah, cause, no, I think, I think what you're saying is probably really, really hits close to home. Because for me, when I was thinking of, okay, well, what's the opposite of reverence? Is it impiety? Is that just kind of like a fancy word for irreverence, like you're saying, yeah. but there's, there's multiple, there's different kinds of piety, right? Because, um, where there's a piety with the, o, God. There's a piety that we owe to the saints. There's a piety that we owe mm-hmm. to our parents and our country, right? All of these different, essentially, it's a question about what it's, it's almost a question of justice in that sense like, what mm-hmm. do I owe those who've given me something
1: yeah. in that
0: sense? And so what, what the, the direction I think you're taking it is, well, reverence is something that we owe in justice to God, the saints, etc. right? Mm-hmm. So pride obviously gets in the way of that. So, I mean, obviously that's true.
1: That's, I mean, that's the best I can come up with.
0: Hmm. Yeah. No, if
1: you think something different, that's really interesting. Hmm. let us know. <laughs> let us know, we'll share. Um, she does say like reverence is the mother of all virtue. And I thought that was huge. I mean, we just don't think about it enough. You know, I, I actually think for me, if you said, what is the mother of all virtue? I would say humility is. But I think humility and yeah. reverence are tied. Like they're like sisters.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that they're tied. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think they're sisters. And I think maybe that's why I think like pride is.
0: Yeah. I mean, this opposite. isn't one of the things where it's. Uh, this has been dogmatically defined. It's it's more of. A, no, we're just it's, chatting. It's yeah. almost. No, I mean, what she's saying. about okay. Like, oh, yeah. this virtue is the mother of all the other virtues. That's it's this seems to be more of a. Not rhetorical question, but almost like a, you know, sort of, how are you talking about it? Because when you're, when you're relating it to pride, mm-hmm. I think most, you know, most of the tradition would say, well, yeah, it's actually pride. That's the worst sin. So relating it to pride and flipping that around to the, well, you know, what virtues are in, in harmony with this, then this, this statement of hers, right. Reverence being the mother of virtue as yeah. being kind of the counteracting virtue to pride would make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Yep. All right. And then we get into piety. And this is that, that bit that you just discussed about like the mission, the role of woman is essentially religious. Yeah. Um, because their role is intimately related to eternity. And then it gets into a quote here that actually Alice von Hildebrand has said many times, not just in this book, about how women um, have this incredible um, ability to cooperate with the creator in creating human beings, and that will live forever. And how that is, you know, a powerful role. And I actually want to make a side note here. She was never a biological mother. So she she suffered infertility. Oh, is that true? Yes, she only lived out her spiritual motherhood. And she talked so beautifully about physical motherhood and the importance of it, which is absolutely incredible.
0: Maybe I knew that and I just forgot.
1: Yeah, I mean it's really
0: that incredible. Is, that is interesting.
1: Just like Edith Stein talked so much about motherhood and she never had children. Like it's it's like what you know, what what does it take? Like these <laughs> these women who either chose, you know, to forego physical motherhood for the sake of the kingdom, like Edith mm-hmm. Stein or Alice von Hildebrand who absolutely adored her husband and they never were gifted with children and and they have like that like i mean she just she's like the like one of the yeah. greatest people women of our time talking about motherhood
0: speaking of adoring her husband i think it's every time i come across it in this book i i almost laugh out loud it's the funniest thing in the world to me where she'll be writing and then she'll write dietrich von hildebrand says but it's her own husband <laughs> yeah. i feel like when like. I feel like if you are both academics, you should have some kind of permission to just write, well, my husband said this. <laughs> yeah. And then you can include the work in the footnote where it's like, okay, it's not just some yeah. random guy like on the couch who said this, it's actually.
1: Well, it was Dietrich von Hilderan who said, reverence is the mother of all virtues. Well, and just, she quoted him on that. Well, so. there you go. I think she should have just said,
0: well, my, <laughs> this is what my husband said. Yeah. right?
1: Right. No, she's keeping it professional, you know?
0: i just think it's i don't know
1: it is funny um okay we had we had a little note here you i think you underlined this yeah
0: yeah so i had so i was just curious about her she she quotes saint bernard but doesn't actually quote him she just says well saint bernard said this one thing and then moves on i would actually be curious about going back and looking at because there's you know really great academics are very you know a lot of them are kind of famous for uh just sort of quoting things just at at their memory
1: yeah and, and not putting nine
0: them. times out of ten yeah nine times out of ten they won't tell you where it's from
1: hold on what, who's the editor of this nine times out <laughs> of
0: ten they'll still be right but actually it was i would be curious to go and try and find this uh this citation in bernard somewhere because she says saint bernard tells us the devil fears mary more than he fears god and i know what she's trying to say can i but I would be curious what Bernard's language actually is because it would make sense if Bernard said, I, I, I would be surprised, a little surprised if Bernard actually used this language of fear in regard to Mary and God, but I would, I, but I would expect him to say something like Mary's much more humiliated. The devil's much more humiliated by Mary's role than he is humiliated by God. Cause everything else she says about this is well, I, I, you know, as as prideful and everything else as the as the evil one is, he knows God is God, and so it's much it's there's there's less shame in being conquered by God than there is in being conquered by a creature, in that sense. So my my little question mark there was just about this particular word: whether the devil fears Mary more, or is just more ashamed at the fact that this little woman is his is his downfall yeah if that makes sense
1: so this is actually like what she's saying is not just coming from saint bernard it's coming from the traditions also because saint alphonsus Liguori also talks about this and extends on this quite a bit about how the devil fears mary more than he fears god and it's exactly what you said and i only know this because i have not read this quote by saint bernard but i have read it by saint alphonsus Liguori. Mm-hmm the same thing but with like a long explanation afterwards and it was about how because Mary is creature she's more terrifying because why is she so perfect like why why does she do everything perfect and she's a creature like how dare she you know so i think it hits sure. on the shame like you said like being uh-huh. ashamed yeah. but it also is this fear of her like who are you like what are what do you think you're doing you know what i mean like you're supposed to not be that way
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know like it's really just like yeah there's a
0: of. there's a no this isn't like this isn't in scripture so it's not like a biblical revelation yeah but there's kind of a a pious tradition that's been handed down about uh but th- there's been all kinds of speculation about what that what the cause of the angel's sin was like why did they rebel yes right and so there's all kinds of different theories about why this actually happened and one of them that I find relatively convincing is this idea that because before, right. Cause we, we tend to think about angels as suit to supernatural right away because they're angels. And we forget that, no, actually angels are natural creatures. They have their own nature and then they have to be invited to glory the same way in, in a similar sense that humans do, or right? they don't just mm-hmm. get heaven because they're angels, which if you think about the fact that there's angels and demons, that should make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So like, At at a certain point, the angels had to make a choice. And so one of the theories about, well, what made made some of the angels choose against God was the idea that, well, they couldn't know, it was that God revealed to them part of the plan, essentially, of what he was going to do. And that the, the role, and one of the things that we'll get to also about how Mary's queen of the angels, this idea that the angels were created in one sense to serve humanity, Oh. And that God himself would become human in that sense. And that this idea that some of the angels right, would, would see this and their pride would get in the way. And it would be like, I'm an angel. I'm naturally so much higher than these gross, little, fleshy, bloody things you have running around in this world that you've somehow put spirit into. I'm not going to serve those little things. I'm so much higher than them. I'm so much better mm-hmm. and farther above them. And so I think that that, so this idea, so I, I wasn't, wow. everything she says here is really great. Yeah. I just, and so part of it's probably just maybe, maybe I just would have used a different word than fear because I associate fear with, with one thing mm-hmm. maybe, Um, but everything, but, but the whole definition and the reason she uses that and everything she says after, I completely agree with. So it's probably just a matter of, of preference about this idea that there's this fear,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Or shame or anger right or pride involved in the idea not just that god would become man but that angels would have to serve men and that ultimately this little peasant woman from nazareth would be the greatest creature of all
1: yeah that's really cool it's really interesting though. yeah that's really really cool What's i've never Chiuan heard that? There? what Oh, yeah. I was like, I was <laughs> <That's, serious. laughs> maybe I'm just hungry.
0: I don't know. It's a Friday. I okay. think much.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so Comfort of the Afflicted, um, Mater Dolores. Yes.
0: Sorrowful Mother.
1: Yes, the Sorrowful Mother. Um, I wrote a note here that the more the saints, the more blessed we are, the the holier we become, um, the more we have suffered, the more we will experience high highs and low lows um, in our life. Like, and we see this in the saints lives. So like, I see this and you can see it so intrinsically in Our Lady. I just wrote so much about this in my book, like this part about how she
0: yeah. So if you're just interested more, just wait till Megan's book comes out. <laughs> and if you can't wait till that happens, you can go to the Substack and listen to all of the mariology <laughs> podcasts. And I'm sure you can order one of ten thousand different books that have been written on Mary over the last two thousand. Yes, years. like
1: who are uh, way better yeah. than us, like Alfonso the Exactly. And... <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. right.
0: yeah. So there's plenty. If you're interested, there's plenty of material out there. Just yeah. you know, yeah. Type Mary into a search engine. I'm sure you'll.
1: Yeah, but but I think what. I think something that really strikes me about Our Lady and that she hits on here is that the holier you become, the more you experience joy and sorrow to its fullest extent. And you become
0: transparent in that way.
1: It's really, really beautiful, Mm -hmm. actually. It's very hard, right? Because, like, when your sorrows are sorrow, it's a very pure sorrow. And then when your joys are joy, like it's a very pure and high joy. Like
0: I think that's a mistake a lot of people make because they assume, well, Mary was so perfect. Uh, I can't relate to her because she was so perfect. She could probably understand everything that was happening. And so she wouldn't have gotten sad because she would have just understood why it happened. Mm. And the people make a similar mistake about about Christ. And they think, well, if you if you think that Jesus saw the father while he was alive, then his passion must not have like been a big deal at all because he just would have known he was going to like come back from the dead and everything was going to be fine. So Mm -hmm. it must not have been that bad. Whereas actually metaphysically, theologically, when you understand all of this properly, you understand, well, actually, no, Christ having the beatific vision means that his suffering was essentially infinite yeah, because he saw every single thing associated with it. Every single consequence of every single sin. And that was suffering. And in an analogous way, Mary's, perfection, like you say, allows her to be kind of finely tuned to all the different range of emotions, high Mm -hmm. or low.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think then she sort of shows, she wraps up in the end about how everything that we do as, as men and women is useful when it's ignited by love. And you know that's when it becomes something holy and that's when it becomes something transcendent and so good and higher than us is when we are you know she ends with whether it is cooking or washing if it's done as a service to god it certainly glorifies him much more than an arrogant business or intellectual work and she's really just showing that women in the home Doing our work, you know, doing our hidden work—that's not recognized by society and the world—as significant is so good and so significant and so holy and so religious.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Now the the last thing we'll that maybe finish with this. Yeah. I just mention um, something practically. I thought maybe that's that's going to be helpful for me and that maybe is helpful for everyone listening. Um, she mentions on the second to last page of this chapter and something i'm i'm assuming most if not all catholics will be able to do in their own house with some piece of artwork right she talks about how she she just mentions and pauses on the the act of mary looking at the christ child's face as being this very particular intimate moment and it just struck me that that's that's essentially a kind of like a foretaste of heaven in that sense because like we're looking forward to doing the same thing So the act of Mary looking at Jesus's face and having that be a kind of perfect, intimate moment of love is something that God willing, you know, all of us will get to do one day. And so any kind of, so that's something that I've just been sort of thinking about ever since I read this chapter, Um, but in all the different, you know, however many, (laughs) however many, uh, you know, paintings and things we have spread throughout the house that that's, that that particular image, right? Mary and Jesus, like looking at each other Mm. is essentially a kind of window into what heaven actually is going to be. It's beautiful. And so I guess we'll finish there. Yeah. It was definitely not shorter than any of the other ones. That's okay. But that's okay.
1: (laughs) Well, both you and I have been doing Mariology stuff.
0: Yeah, uh for sure. All right, so I think we have two chapters left, which means two episodes left. So two more weeks after this.